Hi, everyone. Welcome to Me, You, and Who. On today's episode, we are talking with Joni Franklin. She is an assisted reproductive technology attorney and is incredibly knowledgeable in her area. She's been practicing since 96 and then subsequently became an art attorney a few years later. Joni has helped hundreds and hundreds of parents along the way. She's licensed in Wichita, Missouri, as well as um, Oklahoma. And of course, she is a huge Chiefs fan, mom of two, and is incredibly just passionate and knowledgeable about this area of law. We talk a lot about just all of the different things that she's seen. She answers a lot of questions that people may have as far as what a gestational agreement looks like, an egg donor agreement, all of these things. So please enjoy listening to one of my favorite people that I get to work with, Joni Franklin. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. We do. So not to like jump back and forth, but like, yay. Hi, you're Joni Franklin. I I wasn't sure whether we'd started or not. (laughs) Oh, we're just, yeah, ABR, always be recording. Like we're, yeah, we can always edit. Um, No, so you're Joni Franklin. You are an art attorney, which what, first, what is an art attorney? Where are you licensed and how did you get into like art? Oh yeah, I I love to tell this story. (laughs) So I've been a lawyer for almost 28 years, which blows my mind, but For the last 14, I've practiced art, which is assisted reproductive technology law. It is a very kind of specialized area. Um, It's throughout the United States. It's throughout the world, obviously. Mm -hmm. How I got started is a colleague asked me, do you want me to help make babies? And I was like, well, that's a weird ask. Um, (laughs) uh, What's the title with that? And once I I learned I wasn't donating eggs or anything... (laughs) (laughs) Um, she walked me through, I started reviewing contracts here in Kansas. I live in Wichita, Kansas. I'm a native Kansan, lived here all my life, except when I studied abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, and just really feel blessed to find midway through my career, a a true passion. Um, I think my, my previous younger lawyer days, um, trained me well for a lot of the, the skill set that I needed. But I started in Kansas, started reviewing, then started writing. Um, now I'm licensed in Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kansas. Um, the art practice is probably 85 to 90% of my business now. So right behind me, I have some babies. This is some of the recent ones. Um, over this side is my um, map, and it says uh, Franklin Law Office Babies Worldwide. <laughs> Yeah, I'm up to 34 countries now that I have babies in. And uh, right before Christmas, I had my thousandth birth. Although I do say I somehow haven't lost any of the weight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, and I am blessed, I believe, to to practice this um, area of the law in the Midwest. There's not a lot of us here. Um, so one, that's good for business and two, it's good colleague wise. I rarely have somebody that I don't know on the other side of the case, which is, um, extravagantly, um, decadent as an attorney, (laughs) because all the time you get a new people, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I have, um, a lot of my, most of my clientele is agency referrals. And so I get the pleasure of working with wonderful agencies, like surrogate solutions who are amazing. Um, and I think that the entire surrogacy industry is waking up to the Midwest. Um, we, for a long time, I feel everything was um, really focused on 
primarily the West Coast, some on the East Coast, maybe some of the bigger cities like Chicago and stuff in the Midwest. But what people are finding is there's a lot of good folk in the Midwest. Our cost of living is a lot more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on your specifics that you want, you can always find a state that works with it either internationally or domestically. And, you know, honestly, it's just a joy. And I think people are really remembering the Midwest or, or, you know, there's a reason they call us the heartland. We are good folk. And um, as surrogacy becomes more readily available, it's really great. I think people are turning to the Midwest um, to do their journeys. So I've been blessed to be at the right time at the right place. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So one of the things, so much in there, so so many things I just want to like dig in there. But my first question to you, so you said you started in Kansas and now it's Oklahoma and Missouri. What are kind of just the differences? So every state has their own law. So California obviously is incredibly different from Texas, which is incredibly different from Oklahoma. What are kind of some of those differences and how do you, I guess, kind of operate all three of those, but still being able to keep it all straight? (laughs) Yeah. want to have a very good assistant, Sarah. So I'm going to shout out to Sarah. Sarah, my favorite. Sarah keeps me sane and on on, um, target. Um, So It's very interesting um, because you would think in the Midwest, everything would be similar, but actually my three states are very different. Um, In Kansas, uh, we do not have a statute, which is a specific law that regulates surrogacy, but surrogacy works fabulous in Kansas because we have parentage laws that allow what we call pre-birth orders. So I am able to negotiate the contract Um, Once the contract is negotiated and executed or signed in the state of Kansas, I can immediately issue legal clearance as an attorney. So there's no um, additional um, court approvals or anything like that. As long as the the parties sign the contract, I can issue legal clearance. And then in Kansas, we do pre-birth orders, meaning we establish the parentage of the intended parent or parents um, during pregnancy. I tend to start that process at 18 weeks. Um, It's a little early. I want to make sure we've got a good, healthy, viable pregnancy, get past that first trimester. Um, But, you know, as I say in all my contract reviews, babies don't magically pop out at 40 weeks (laughs) because they did. All of our jobs would be amazingly more simple or more simple. Um, <laughs> so I want to have those in place for any kind of emergency contingencies, any um, surprise arrivals. Um, in Kansas, we're able to use those pre-birth orders both at the delivery hospital. So the intended parents have all the rights to the child, responsibilities, name the baby, pay for the baby, discharge the baby, um, get to be on the birth certificate. And we use those orders that are vital records. And then vital records uses those orders to issue the birth certificate with intended parents' name on it. Um, Missouri is the opposite of everything. <laughs> Missouri. Go, Missouri. Yes. Yeah, so the great state of Missouri. As a Mizzou grad, I, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love my Missouri folks. I love my Missouri surrogates and ton of parents, all of that. And it works really well. And it, it, but it is what we call a post-birth state. So Missouri is kind of um, a hybrid of, of what I just explained happens in Kansas. The first step's always the same, which is the contract, no matter where you are. Once we get that negotiated, there is no, um, court approval required in in Missouri either. So as soon as they execute the contract, I'm able to issue legal clearance as an attorney. Um, But in Missouri, we cannot finalize um, parentage on a surrogate birth until the baby's born. So it is what we call a post-birth state versus Kansas is a pre-birth state. Um, So we have kind of an interim. We do have the ability to execute a legal document in Missouri that's called Delegation of Parental Authorities. So what we do with the surrogate is around that same time frame, 18 weeks or so, we have her execute this power of attorney. And basically what it says is any time from the moment of the birth until we have the court finalizes um, 
uh, final parentage rights. Then she delegates any authority she would potentially have for that baby to the intended parents. So we use that at the delivery hospital um, just for that little tiny interim period. Then, um, or for emergencies, you know, very premature births, things like that. Then um, it's a nice flurry of activity when the baby's born in Missouri. We um, immediately get almost, we have the parentage action on file. We just can't file the order until um, after the baby's born. We send a notary to the hospital. The uh, surrogate signs almost an identical document, except this time it says baby, baby Smith, IP's baby's name, time, date of birth. I'm giving up any parental authorities on this child now forever and ever. And then we file that with the court. We generally get um, the orders back within a week. Candidly, it depends when the baby's born. If it's a Thursday, it's going to be closer to a week. If it's a Monday, we usually get it in three or four days. Sure. Um, and then that parentage document is what we use to get um, vital records to issue the birth certificate and intended parents' names. And then last but not least is the Sooner State, Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> one of uh, my favorite, actually, I shouldn't say that since I'm a native Kansan, but it is a front-loaded system. And what that means is we do everything on the front side. So at the time we start with a contract or negotiate that, we also um, draft up and have ready-to-go validation pleadings. Validation is what Missouri calls parentage um, pleadings or parentage orders for surrogacy agreements in um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma does have a specific statute or law. It's called the Gestational um, Surrogacy Gestational Carrier Agreement Act, sorry, Gestational Carrier Agreement Act, and it tells us exactly how to do that. Then when the parties actually sign the agreement, we file it with the court. The court issues the parentage orders, believe it or not, folks who are listening, before the surrogate is even pregnant. So that is required to get those parentage orders before we do any transfers. Um, some people are like, what, what, what? It works fabulous. Um, those cover any child born, whether it's on a first, second, third transfer, as long as the parties stay the same. If we have to extend or change anything, we can do that pretty easily by a court amendment. And then it's a great time. This um, agreement or this act came into being in mid-2019. So everybody's nice and broken in now. Um, all the hospitals <laughs> know what's going on because prior to that, it was a post-birth state. Um, so it's a it's a great time to do a journey in Oklahoma because we get those routinely and quickly approved by the court, usually within one to two business days of filing them. And then you don't have to worry about coming back to court, anything with the parentage. It's all done. And we do a little bit of follow up work when the baby's born um, post-birth reconfirmation, um, which works really well for international intended parents. A lot of countries for the baby to get citizenship has to have a post-birth order. So you get the best of both worlds, pre and post. Um, and then uh, we also um, just give notified to the court that the baby's born, we're done. And so they can close out that case. So they're very different and um, they all work extremely well. Um, and some work better for, you know, different types of intended parents, especially on the international front. Sure. So as far as, I mean, that, that interim time for someone who is not like super familiar with the law during that interim time and then post, you know, okay, we got all of the orders in and everything. Are they, I mean, you're not explaining it as they're adopting their own baby, right? Like it's truly... Yeah, yeah. So I guess like kind of what's that? Cause I know that can be a fear and yeah. so kind of, yeah. Yeah. And, and it can be a legitimate fear. Um, for, in, for instance, in Oklahoma, it's a very broad interpretation how the statute is. You can, it, you are the legal parents. It, it goes on a birth certificate just as if you had had a baby, uh, uh, the old-fashioned way, <laughs> I guess, without basis <laughs> of science. Um, and the Oklahoma statute specifically says you can have one donor, you can use 
um, genetic material from both intended parents, or you can actually use two donors in the state of Oklahoma and still get those parentage. So that's especially helpful um, with same-sex parents. Um, then um, in Kansas, um, we have donor statutes. So once the donor donates, as long as we can show the court, it's a legitimate donation, which means in a medical facility. Because <laughs> we... Yes. Kansas is known for the uh, Craigslist baby, so don't be doing. Go to a doctor. <laughs> no. you go to a doctor, and we get it through um, legitimate, documented purposes. We can do that. Um, same thing in Missouri. So, in the states of Kansas and Missouri, where we don't have a specific statute that outlines how that happens. Um, we can easily get parentage orders, regardless if there's a donor. Um, some people prefer to do a second parent adoption. Um, sometimes, like for internationals, they do that to uh, better preserve the ability for the baby to get citizenship in different countries of origin. Um, and then some people want to do it um, just for, you know, um, kind of that um, ultra- I want everything, never anything to be questioned if we got divorced, if anything like that happened. Um, and there are some other perks to doing a second parent adoption. Um, they're quick. They're easy at birth with a surrogacy agreement. Our judges have no problem approving them. We just go in. This is a surrogacy. They want to adopt. They used an egg donor or they used a sperm donor, whatever those combos are, and do that. In Kansas, a surrogacy um, birth, a birth certificate that comes out of a surrogate birth will have the word amended on it. Um, if it's an adoption, it does not. So some parents just want it so it doesn't say amended. It does not um, in any way alter the validity of a birth certificate. And people amend different birth certificates for different ways, if there was an error, things like that. Sure. But some, some intended parents say, I want it to look like just as if it came out of me. And in Kansas and Missouri, those when you get adoptions, it, it looks exactly like that. So gotcha. it's just a matter of preference. Legally, it's all established. Legally, they'll have parental rights. Um, it's just how they want it to look on that piece of paper on that birth certificate. And it, yeah. it's all on the board. All over the board um, because I have some people that are like, we don't care. We have our baby. I have some people that are like, it's our baby. We want it to look like anybody else that had a baby. And so those are kind of some fun things that we deal with all the time. And I'm happy to make people's day, whatever or however they want that birth certificate to look. Sure. No, that's big stuff. That makes a lot of sense. So in the in the situation of like a same sex couple, if you have it's say, you know, both males. Mm -hmm. We've used sperm for one egg donor. So you're saying that second partner male, that's what not that's bio the second adoption, not bio dad. That's the second adoption is what you're referencing to in that situation. Or the second parent adoption. Mm -hmm. And I should probably clarify as well. Um, we are talking about married folks here. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, get so, into that. Yeah. So, um, in all three states, if you're going to have an unmarried couple, a committed couple, um, it's a lot harder road to hoe legally to get where we're talking about. If they're married, it's really kind of easy peasy. Sure. Um, for instance, in Oklahoma, if you're not married, uh, the non-married partner that's not genetically contributing or you pick one, but if you're not married, it can only be done as a single parent, which we can do um, in all the states. If you're not a couple, you can still be an intended parent. Absolutely. I've done many, many, many over the years for a single mom or for a single dad. Um, some of my favorite clients, because they get almost the most excited, I think, at times. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we can always do it as a single, but in all those three states, um, we do not have um, like domestic partner um, laws in any of those three states. You can marry mm. as a same-sex couple. That's, that's absolutely recognized. But if you are not married as a couple, it would have to be done as a single. 
And then if you wanted to establish that parentage, you would have to do it through a paternity action, which actually will be a little, it's more intense. It's more, um, sometimes there can be home studies. Sometimes it can take several months. Sometimes it's people really want to it as an adoption yeah. situation yeah. versus just well, I, getting parental rights. Right. So I do have a lot of committed couples that end up just going to the courthouse and getting married to avoid all of that. But it sure. can be done because I know people have very distinct um, ideas about marriage or not being married. So again, we can do it. It is going to be a little more uh, windy road on the journey for non-married to get the second person um, declared a legal parent. That's not the bio person or not the person on the contract. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. But if you're married, no problem. <laughs> no problem. Easy. Yeah. There yeah. you go. <laughs> are dietary restrictions or like, what are some of like the most common things that you feel like are hangups with intended parents as you're going through a contract? So I think when you talk about going through a contract, it's very personalized. Um, I have some intended parents that are like, I just want her to follow what the doctor says. And those mm -hmm. are facts. And then some are, they have very specific, I find in, in different cultures, there's different things. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Like, especially like with my Asian intended parents, there's a lot of seafood, sometimes seafood we can't get here. So I just tell people, well, you, you can't eat it here anyway. It doesn't hurt to have it in there. Um, <laughs> I've had um, some uh, Jewish um, intended parents, um, intended parents from Israel that have very specific things because they follow very specific dietary and they want Oh, sure. They want to keep kosher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or ish, kosher ish. Kosher ish. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I, and then sometimes I just have intended parents, like I've had intended parents that are yoga instructors or they're in the healthcare industry and they're big on, legumes and not so much red meats. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I just have people that Google things that they find online that they don't want them to eat. And so we do that. Generally, I start with um, the, obviously, I would say the big ticket items, you know, drink and drug and smoke and vape and all those good things. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, always in there. And then always and <laughs> they have to clarify anything in writing on, on those things. And then I put in some basic, um, everything from exposures, you know, cat litter, um, stinky moldy cheeses, you know, all of the basic things that we normally that everybody expects. And then I just let them kind of go from there. Mm -hmm. Only 90% of the intended parents are fine with what's ever in there. And they're like, Hey, this is a leap of faith. If I can't trust her to eat what she should eat, I'm probably not supposed to be with this person, but some people mm. have very specific things. So yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. We do. <laughs> what would you say over your, oh my gosh, 14 years, I cannot believe. Um, what would you say like over the course of 14 years have been kind of, how have you had to adapt and twist and turn just with laws changing the obvious is row, um, you know, just things like that. Yeah, I, I feel in our industry, there's always something <laughs> that's happening that we yes. adapt to. <laughs> um, you know, back 2012 to 2014, everybody was freaked out by Zika. We're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to give me a Zika any day of the week? I'd take Zika <laughs> back in a heartbeat. Um, so um, the other thing that's great about assisted reproductive technology lawyers is even with the small group in the Midwest, there's not a tremendous, huge amount of us. It's not like you open the phone book and you can find 20 divorce attorneys or 30 criminal attorneys. Um, we're all pretty well vetted um, because agencies have to know you know what you're doing. And that's primarily where our business comes from. So we do have a tight network um, and we have conferences. We all regularly go to conferences. We have constant we call CLEs continuing legal education. So as an industry, we develop language around whatever the problem was. Um Zika and we known that in the art world you should not have your divorce attorney or your yeah. real estate attorney or yeah. like nobody should be drafting these contracts but art or your attorney. cousin's <laughs> wife that's an attorney or it's not that hard. 
No. Um, and one, the most important is, is that it's, it is highly specialized. And as you know, the science with developing a baby is you're not going to go to your family physician to have in vitro, right? right? It's kind of the same thing on the legal side. You're not going to go to your general practitioner. You're not going to. And people also need to know a lot of times we have surrogates, especially in the Midwest that are in more rural areas and they think that they have to go with somebody in their town. Absolutely not true. I mean, I would I would say 99% of my clientele, we do Zooms and calls. Um, we communicate. We're, we're not really face-to-face in the office. So I want people to know that, that you should also not turn down a surrogate that may be a little more rural area because you don't think they can get the legal representation they need um, because there's like literally five to seven people in the entire, um, each of these states individually Clearly, people are coming to us across the you know the internet and and through uh, ways that they're not in person. So yes, the second reason not to do that is somewhat selfish, probably to both you and me, Whitney. It's like people screw it up, the news loves it, right? And so far, it's usually just the celebs in California that are doing that kind of stuff. Sure. <laughs> but. Um, you know, if somebody messes it up, it really can hurt an entire industry. It can hurt an entire state's worth of intended parents. Um, because if something tragic happens and they call for legislation, it can it can really um, hurt a lot of people unintentionally. So don't just go to your average person in the phone book. Make sure you get someone. And there are a lot of places, like if you go to the American Bar Association, um, ARDA, uh, all those places do have people that they list um, that are qualified. Um, most of the time you'll see that information if um, you're looking on um, boards like message boards or communication sites. But that is a, a hugely um, important thing that I want everybody to t- take away, please. <laughs> yes. And that's the one, the one takeaway, please use an art attorney if you were right. doing this. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I had one case where I, I ended up taking over, somebody had hired their divorce attorney. They drafted this contract. It was horribly inadequate. They mm. ended up paying twice what they had to pay me because they charged by the hour and they didn't know what they were doing and they were researching. And so it ended up costing them to get through legal almost three times the amount it would have if they would have just come to an art attorney. Um, so just just a little cautionary uh, word there. And then yeah. as far as other changes, back to your original one, obviously. Yes, COVID, no, you're fine. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, there's a reason we call it a journey. It winds everywhere. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Zika. You have Zika. Now now we have a pandemic. Let's have a little tiny bump in the road. Yeah. The pandemic, which um, just in 2021 was very traumatic. Um, We we adapted. You know, it's changed now that we've had. Originally, we had a horrible problem because we had, I do have quite a few uh, international intended parents and we had, we couldn't get people here. So we had to adapt by finding paperwork for immediate guardians, placements. I didn't do the placements, although I did almost come home with a beautiful Chinese baby because um, they couldn't get just they took care at the last minute. My, <laughs> my children were excited. My husband was not so much. <laughs> I have an 18 and a 16 year old. He's like, they get up like all the time, Joni. What are you doing? Like, oh, we earned this. You're right. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was just going to get to let the dogs out, right? Um, <laughs> we had a lot of trauma that we all kind of bonded together. Um, we found like everything from nanny services. People were, I mean, it was incredible. And it was all from our houses and <laughs> No, it was kind of craziness, but yeah. you know, it, it's a great, a great industry to be in because everybody is like, it's a baby. Nobody wants a baby abandoned. Everybody wants babies to get to their parents. 
Uh, we had some tremendous surrogates that stepped up during that period of time and watched babies till their parents could get here. And we had to execute documents to make that happen. That's, I'm, I, I'm knocking on wood. Sorry. That's the only noise I'll make. Um, you know, that's kind of even out now um, with the world opening up the vaccinations. But then we moved into that and then vaccinations became a big um, topic. Um, our, you know, we have surrogates that don't want to be vaccinated. We had surrogates that were like, fine, give me whatever. And we had intended parents all over the place. In addition to that, during COVID, I think you would agree with me, we really got into kind of a um, surrogate shortage. It was kind of a squeezing down. So then we had people who want, you know, we had people kind of crossing over. Typically, everything's really great matching. You know, we'll talk about abortion here in a minute, those kinds of things. But, you know, when it comes to who's going to take a vaccine or not and what the, you know, the unknown effects are, um, that was a big that was a big topic. And I know with your agency, we had a big meeting about how to do the screening for that. And that's all stuff that we adapted to. And of course, the latest, um, I call it the summer of my discontent <laughs> last year. The other option you would have seen was my RBG wall, which is my shrine to RBG. But there you um, go. yes, obviously, uh, the lovely Dobbs decision, um, which overturned Roe v. Wade and sent the power to um, legislate uh, abortions back to the states. But, you know, it's been a fascinating journey on that and a quick one. I mean, we kind of got there within a couple months after Dobbs being um handed down. At first, everybody thought this was just going to be tragically, um, impair, you know, a tragic impairment and ability to do um, surrogacy journeys in these restrictive states with abortion laws. And, you know, what we found out now, um, mainly due to um, the great state of Texas, I guess I will say, um, they were kind of the guinea pig and all that. They passed the civil penalty statute before Roe fell. And people thought, well, you can't do it there. And then the Dobbs decision did do us one favor in that it declared certain things that were still constitutionally protected rights, which specifically is travel. Even um, the justices that overturned uh, the right to abortion as a federal constitutional right said that the right to travel still is an absolute protected constitutional right, meaning people can freely go from state to state. You cannot impede anybody's travel state to state, either with inquiry or with obstacle, I think were the exact words. Right. What I have learned through that whole experience, and I think it's made me a better lawyer, to be honest, I, to my clients, um, the basic premise of our termination, and I don't know who's all going to be watching this, but we always include in every surrogacy agreement and a termination of pregnancy or abortion section, as well as a selective reduction section. Um, a majority of vast, vast, that's one thing I've seen over the 14 years, the testing of the embryos is almost always done now. So one, we're talking about a teeny, teeny, tiny um, number of um, pregnancies that this will affect because we kind of uh, know we're putting good stuff in before because we've tested it. But I told people, even when Roe was around, um, it's not Handmaiden's Tale, right? All we're putting in there is people's intentions. And we're putting in, this is the intention of intended parents when they would request a termination of pregnancy or the selective reduction of a fetus. And we put in before um, Roe fell that the uh, surrogate would agree to follow those intentions but immediately following that is if that is not done, if somebody breaches this part of the agreement, it's a material breach. And at the end of the day, it's just a legal cause of action, meaning you can sue that person. There is no specific performance for those types of provisions. Like I said, not handmaid's tale. We can't say you said you'd get an abortion, go get one. That never happened before Roe. So it's always one of those, what I call leap of faith. It's, it's always leap of faith before as well as after Roe. Um, everybody comes together. Everybody agrees what they're comfortable with. And that's what we put in the agreement. Um, so what's changed after Roe fell is that one, it depends on the state. So in 
my home state, the fine citizens of Kansas last summer, had they, our government put it up for a vote. And our citizens said, it's a right. It's a constitutional right. And we're not going to take that away from women. So right now, nothing has changed in Kansas. So I really have not um, changed anything in my contracts that I do there other than I put in, we all know now, things can change. <laughs> so if we, we'll all do what we need to do to abide by the terms of this agreement. Um, Missouri had a trigger law, which means um, as soon as Roe fell, um, they went to a heartbeat bill. And there's basically, unless it's the health or um, survivability, a serious health risk, survivability of the um, gestational carrier, you're not having one um, in Missouri. You're just not. Um, it would be illegal. Um, and we call them voluntary terminations, which every time I review a contract, I really think we need to come up with a better, <laughs> a better word. It's not like anybody's volunteering to have, oh, please, let me. Um, right. <laughs> but, but what, what we mean by voluntary terminations is it's for the health um, or lack of health of the fetus. So it's not to preserve the life or health of the gestational carrier. Um, so, for instance, in Missouri, if that happens, what I instruct intended parents or if I'm reviewing for a surrogate, is it just means it's going to mean travel. So it's a little more expense to get somebody to a jurisdiction where it's legal to have that um, procedure done. In Missouri, depending on what part of the state, it'd probably be Illinois or Kansas, just depending on what side of the state that they're on. Sure. Um, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma went a step further the way of the Texans. They not only have, it's illegal to have an abortion that is not for um, to preserve the health or survivability of the um, carrier, they also have a civil penalty statute. What that civil penalty statute is, it's word for word. I think there's one pronoun or something that's different from the Texas statute. And that statute says that anybody who aids or abets in the, pro or in the procurement of an abortion procedure can be sued by any individual for a minimum of $10,000. So when people hear that, they're like, oh, no, okay, well, we're staying away from Oklahoma. You don't have to. Just they are, We go through them all the time, as does Texas. That law has been in place in Texas for over two years now. There are two, two um, lawsuits that have been filed, and they were against actual abortion providers, so ad abortion doctors. They were purposeful. They were done right when it... Um, they passed and it's supposed to go up to hopefully declare that unconstitutional. Right now, Planned Parenthood has buses that take transport people to safe jurisdictions. Planned Parent again, not going. None, none of these places, no, nobody's been sued other than those two doctors. There's also been zero lawsuits in the state of Oklahoma. What we believe why is because of that constitutional right to travel. If somebody travels to a jurisdiction where it's legal, th there's no way you can sue somebody for doing something legal in the jurisdiction you are. Sometimes I compare it to marijuana. I know, right? What? Um, but for instance, in Colorado, marijuana is legal. In Kansas, it's not. You cannot sue somebody or arrest somebody for getting or utilizing marijuana in um, uh, Colorado. Colorado. They're Kansas resident. There's sure. nothing about it because where they are, if it's legal in that jurisdiction, they're fine. They have a constitutional right to travel and you cannot impede by inquiry or deed um, the ability to do that. So again, in Oklahoma, we do tweak the language a little bit. We um, make sure it says everything's her voluntary choice. Everything's um, we're saying in here is the intent. Nobody's encouraging, abetting, instructing. We just had these discussions. These are the intentions, and this is what they intended to do. And then we, um, she voluntarily does that on her own. Um, and we haven't had any problems. We haven't had any hiccups. Um, our judges in Oklahoma want it disclosed that that statute is there, which we do. We explain it to everybody. And um, just to let you know, I think we had, oh my goodness, I lost track, almost 100 cases um, just in Oklahoma last year. 
And if you would divide those out, I mean, I would say at least half of them happens, you know, after all these laws comes down and we just haven't had any, and that's just me. So there's other people that are doing that as well. Um, You just have to make it clear. We're never going to ask anybody to do anything illegal. We're never going to force anybody to do anything um, medically that they don't want to do. But, you know, overall, that was how it was before Roe as well. So I was going to say, it sounds like even when the contract was, you know, quote unquote, enforceable as far as, you know, abortion or selective termination, the only thing you were essentially enforcing was I'm going to sue you because you didn't do what I wanted you to. If if they didn't. Yeah. If they violate that provision. Um, And that's all it. And that's true for abortion or true for anything else. Like if people don't take their fertility drugs and it causes um, a miscarriage, that's a material breach. So it, it really is. um, It's, it's to the outsider, it's very shocking. But once we kind of dissected it legally determined, we just needed to tweak our language. It really hasn't in essence changed much at all. And like I said, I just got through my thousandth birth. Um, I think I've had, um, I lose, I, I, it's either four or five. I need to go back because one was very early on. And of those two were before we were really PGS testing everything. So yeah. some of those things, I do, those two in particular, I do not think um, would have happened if there was a PGS, they had been PGS tested, which is pretty much the standard now. Um, and then the other three, I had, um, one that was something like a one in 6 million, um, really bad, um, genetic defect. Um, and you know, that's just unfortunately how the universe works at times. Um, and then I had, um, one that had a hydrocele, which is, um, in the brain and, and it didn't seal up. And then the last one was, uh, the surrogate just developed a really weird health condition that she'd been done everything. That's the only time I've really ever had that happen. Um, the reductions are a little bit different, um, because sometimes just with the splits, you know, it just depends on how they split. But, um, for the most part, we've gone to single transfers, which is nice. Um, I like me. (laughs) Um, but you know, I've had tons of twins and you can't probably see, but the twin pictures are the cutest because they dress them all up and put them next to each other. And, oh, and they're, they're precious. They are precious. They're so precious. Yes. My first journey was twins and they were just so little and so pudgy and cute. And I know. Pink and blue or pink I know. And, blue. Yeah, and then there's, oh my gosh. And there's nothing better than both parents having a baby on them and they're just like all happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think with the revolution of the testing, it's just such a small percentage. It's just so minute. Um, but as I tell everybody, when I review with them, my job as a lawyer is to be the negative Nelly. I have Mm -hmm. to think everything that could possibly go wrong and try to have a contingency plan in that contract to cover it. Mm Um, and I also tell them we disclose a lot of risks in the contract. People are like, why are you saying all these things that can go wrong? And the reason is, is I tell people our courts have said, whether it's a contract for a job or to sell a house or to make a baby, everybody has to go in with their eyes wide open and know what the risks are. And if they don't, we don't know that they're on the same page when they're actually going into the agreement. So you'll get a laundry list of things that can go wrong. I always say, you know, they really never do, but we have to disclose them because you have to acknowledge, you know, their risks um, yeah. to having a baby, even, you know, a more traditional way. I say when I talk about the disclosure risk for pregnancy, I'm like, you know, it's basically everything from stretch marks to death, right? That's what it is. <laughs> no, uh, for sure. I mean, there's a not only, I mean, I I can only speak for our agency, but we do our very best to educate. And I feel like as soon as intended parents or carriers get to an attorney, it's just more clarity. 
And it's better to have that clarity. Like, because once there's a baby, you can't turn back. <laughs> As I say, we have that in there. Uh, there's no gives you backsies. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit as they say. (laughs) And I would like to just punch in a little thing here. Um, You know, Whitney, you're kind enough to point out you really need a art attorney when you're dealing with this. I really highly encourage people that are watching this um, to look for a reputable agency. Um, I know there's kind of a trend of people trying to find each other out on the internet and things like that, which works out sometimes and that's great. But a lot of times when we get calls from people who aren't using a credible agency or not using an agency at all, they really don't have an idea of how it works, like what goes into it before it gets to me, all the clearances, all the things they're going to have to have regarding the state, like psychological evaluations, those vary state to state. Some states require them, some states make them optional, criminal background checks, things like that. People don't, health insurance, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, I will tell you, that's the bane of my existence. If you want to be really honest. Um, no, I just, and God, I know God love. We have some really good insurance brokers that work in surrogate, surrogate specific industry, which is another big tidbit. Don't call, um, your HR department and think you're going to get an answer, whether the surrogates, um, pregnancy is going to be covered because they're not even, they're just going to get it reviewed, get it officially. (laughs) You want to get those reviewed because it's it's a lot of money if you don't have those coverages. And, you know, just the ability also um, when people get to me, if they haven't discussed these things, they haven't discussed termination, they haven't discussed what the insurance is going to be, they haven't gotten their medical or their legal or their, excuse me, psychological clearances. I mean, a good agency is worth their weight in gold. I mean, they really are. And um, and you guys have a great one. I mean, you guys are impeccable with your screening process. Um, but if you're on the fence out there and listening to this, please reach out. Reach out to a surrogate solutions. Reach out to somebody that is, if you look on and find a qualified reviews, because you need to have that knowledge before you jump in. You really do. Because a lot of stuff can get screwed up along the ways. And we call them match breaks. Um, match breaks are when you're almost through the process and you can't get it finalized. And so it breaks. Um, I have a, 10 times more of those with independent matches than with agencies. And sure. um, it's just because you know, we want to have a baby, want to have a baby. And we all understand that, but it's very important to protect yourself both as a surrogate, as an intended parent, because there are some predatory people out there. There are. Yeah. It's, you've gotten to the surrogate situation or the egg donor portion because you're trying to take down risk, right? So keep trying to not be risky. This is why you have an art lawyer and not Joe Schmo down the street. This is why, I mean, it's all part of that whole process because yes, in the end, a lot of it is good faith and hoping for the best, but there's a lot that we can do, whether it's an agency or an attorney or any of the other fellows involved in getting to, you know, that baby, that delivery day, it's making sure that we can at least mitigate as much risk as possible. Right. And have everybody with reasonable expectations. Um, There's nothing more heartbreaking than when somebody doesn't have insurance, like an independent comes to me and they're like, we don't have, I I need a transfer next month, but we don't, what do you mean health insurance? And I'm like, because somebody's got to pay for that. (laughs) I guess if you want to plop down a hundred grand to guarantee like that the medical, you know, it, there's just stuff that people who are in the industry are going to be able to help you with. And, um, don't try to take those shortcuts because most of the time it ends up in a heartache, unfortunately. 
Mm-hmm. And I've been on the backside of those trying to fix them. And candidly, sometimes we have to say we can't fix them and they just break and they don't get there. Sure. Um, sometimes it comes to us a little later and it's a big mess and it costs a lot of money to fix big messes. So um, I just think everybody should, if they're thinking about this, even if you're thinking about an independent journey, please do your due diligence and at least talk to a qualified agency before you do that. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for that plug. I appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) I have two more questions for you. Awesome. What has been your favorite part of your job since becoming an art attorney? So, um, whether it be like a favorite case or just a favorite, just moment or yeah. Yeah, I have two moments. Um, if I get to see the baby, it's just, it's amazing. It, if I get a baby high, which my husband's all excited because he's like, we're not getting another baby, which is fine. I don't need another baby. No, you have teenagers. You're done. You got one going to college yeah. next year. No, I know. Um, and so it's just, there is just something magical about it. And it and it doesn't get a, it doesn't happen a lot because we have people obviously I have people in three different states and I have people in different countries. Um, but when you get those op- opportunities and and you take pictures with the intended parents and you're holding the baby and you know there's just a little teeny tiny part that you played in getting this family to where they are it's it's completely incredible. I mean I am. I usually come home and open some champagne and, you know, have, have a little baby party of my own without a baby. Absolutely. Um, and then the second part is just, I, you know, the first half of my career, I worked with people who were injured. And so there was a lot of satisfaction in helping people, but, you know, every time and they're stressing this job too, because you want, there's a lot of stress in this job, Whitney and I. (laughs) We had one case that just about put us both over the edge. We still need to get together and have our bottle of champagne on that one. We do need Uh, to have our bottle of champagne. (laughs) So there is stressful because if something goes wrong, babies come early, people can't get here. I mean, you are the lifeline um, to getting, especially the lawyer, to getting that baby out of the hospital and things like that. And and sometimes you get people that um, are a little... um, specific about what they want and the, you know, you have to tap down people, but you know, any day and, and, you know, lately it's been every day been having baby palooza lately. Um, I, I go to my email and when you open an email and there's just a baby picture and you're just like, goodness gracious, this is like the most amazing thing. And so I've got billboard, I've not billboards, I got bulletin boards here. I've got them in my office. I, Probably people think I'm an OBGYN or something, but it's just so fun. And I have, I have intended parents that send me, um, multiple, um, years. Like I have a surrogate that I get the card. She's 10 now. I mean, she's getting ready to go to junior high, you know? So I really enjoy that part of it. It's just, you know, I got, to, I wanted to be a lawyer to really have an impact on people's lives and make them better. And this has been the most amazing way to do that. I mean, if it's a child, I mean, I can't imagine any other amazing thing. And then, cause I can't stop talking until you one more, which this no, just I, love it. I think it's so funny. So, um, probably some of my favorite clients are sibling journeys, which for people out there, what that means is um, they come back and they usually go to the same surrogate. So they'll a two couple years later, they'll have another baby. And I have one particular intended parents that they've, and the surrogate's amazing, but they just had their third, this is their last, but their third child with the surrogate. Oh, the intended mother goes, well, my triplets are complete. And I was like, triplets? I'm, I don't understand because, you know, they're born too. And she's like, Jenny, they were all created at the same time. And I was like, oh, yeah. So they made all their embryos. And she's like, they're triplets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. I know. I was like, that's amazing. And I said, well, this is the healthiest set of triplets I've ever had. 
A hundred percent. No stays in the NICU? Like, no, no. Um, yeah. And I was like, all fraternal, you know, they won't even do that. They won't stay. There you go. And, you know, so it's those kind of surprises. I like hearing, um, you know, sometimes they're tragic because when people are resulting to surrogacy, a lot of times it's, they've had a horrible, horrible um, fertility journey to that point. And, you know, there is something super sweet when they get to a surrogate and it works and there's almost like a release from them. It's, and, you know, I, people say weird things to people if they know they're having a surrogate baby, like, aren't you weirded out? You don't know what's happening with your baby or to gestational carriers. Like, how are you giving up your baby? And they're like, it's not my baby. <laughs> Not giving up, giving back, giving up. I'm, I'm helping. I'm assisting, and you know, I always, you know, think about the sensitivities because I, I, I'm a blessed mom. I had one and I adopted one, so I've had the best of both worlds. But when people say those things, and then it's almost like this release for those people who struggled so long. It's more of almost a relief as much as the joy that they finally got to this dream they've had their whole life. And it's very uh, overwhelming for me. I mean, I've, I, I'm not going to lie. I've cried a million times <laughs> in this uh, No, job. absolutely. Absolutely. And probably 990,000 <laughs> of them were happy tears. <laughs> um, but it is. And it's, it's, it's just overpowering and, and it's very cool. Um, my kids, you know, I come home as a baby day and they're like, well, show me the picture. And, you know, so we come. And yeah. So I, I just think it's, it's just so much good. It's so much good. It's not perfect. We don't know. Nope. It's not perfect. perfect. But, you know, I look at my colleagues and people are like, I just want this big case. And I'm like, I had five babies this week, you know. <laughs> there you go. And I think my tastes a little sweeter than yours. <laughs> yeah. We're going to Europe. I have a place to stay if I want to go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. That yeah. is, oh, I love that. I love that. But you're so right. It is that, you know, it, it makes those tough days and those hard cases and, you know, those late nights. Yeah. Those late nights. And I mean, when you do see, when you get that little picture, it just makes it all worth it. Or if you do ever get to see them or, you know, yeah, it does. It makes it all a hundred percent worth it. It does. It absolutely does. And, you know, you also have to just keep in mind because it's the journey, sometimes the most tense or intense people, as soon as they get those babies, they're just like putty in that baby's hands. They're just like, I said, it's their form of labor. I think, you know, all all I think the journey is, is the labor. And then you forget about all those tough times along the road. And, um, you have those, you know, those kids. And I also think it's just become so much more socially aware and socially acceptable. Um, I think it's kind of having the renaissance that adoption and, you know, um, and hopefully foster care and things have had. And people are now like, oh, it, it is always funny when I tell people I do it for a living. They're like, well, is there much of that? I mean, like, how much of it you do? And I'm like, a lot. A lot. <laughs> A lot. Yeah, a week. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm encouraged too. I think it's only going to get better. I think it's going to get um, more affordable as time goes on. I think it's going to get more accessible. And, you know, I'm excited for the future of, um, you know, surrogacy. My son wants to go to law school. I'm trying to get him maybe to consider this, but. There you go. He wants to do sports law, so I don't think there's a lot of hope in it, but maybe I can suck him back in. There you go. He can like do a couple things on the side. (laughs) Right. Okay. My final question, fun question. Yes. What filled your cup this morning, whether it be coffee or not a beverage, but just something really great? What filled your cup this morning? Um, so 
Well, I, okay. So you're talking spiritually or actually? Spiritually, actually, what fills your cup? Okay. So what fills my cup is actually um, physically, I gave up soda for four years ago. I'm four years clean from wow. the diet folks. Wow. Um, yeah, it was traumatic. Uh, but I drink um, caffeinated water. So I do a sparkling caffeinated water in the morning on my way to two parentage hearings. So there I got go. parentage orders that filled my spirit. Um, and then I well, had caffeinated. And hydrated. caffeinated. And now I'm drinking just water with a little orange in it. So. Oh, nice. I'm an old lady now. I can't drink caffeine past two. I am maybe regretting this cup of coffee but not coffee and I have a beautiful relationship together. Yeah. So I don't drink coffee. It's funny. Cause I feel that I feel like I'm the odd man out. I'll do an occasional, but like I went all the fun stuff in it. So then I'm like, oh, sure. I'd rather just have a cocktail than to drink this many calories. Just, there you go. So that I'll just stick sense. to my caffeinated water and <laughs> hydrated and caffeinated. It works. Hydrated and caffeinated. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so that's what filled my cup and my spirit this morning. I so. love it. I love yeah. it. Well, Joni, thank you so much for your time. I so, so appreciate you. And yes. I just, I appreciate you as a coordinator and all you do for my clients as well oh. as just appreciate you as a friend and just fellow in this crazy world that we're in. This has been a pleasure. Um, obviously, um, if you, anybody has follow-ups with feedback, I'm more than happy to help out. And I hope to see you, my friend, soon in the future, hopefully in person. And I hope everybody considering a journey will consider um, surrogate solutions. And hopefully, oh gosh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And hopefully, you end up in my state. <laughs> that would be so fun. That would be so fun. Well, thanks again for your time. I appreciate you. All right. You have just finished listening to an episode of Me, You, and Who. To find out more about egg donor and surrogate solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.